Good morning. I'm on. I am now. Let me get rid of this one. Happy New Year. I, I can say that just because I wasn't here last week. I was up in Manchester um, as part of my other work I do. Um, I was commissioning a guy to go and work in Chad. Um, right, I'm just going to do an experiment. I'm going to change my glasses. I have, this, I have this dilemma, you see. I should be going into bifocals, but um, well now, now you're all blurred, but at least I can read my notes. I realized last time I spoke, I couldn't see my notes. Fortunately, I'm quite good at knowing what's in my notes, so I was all right. But I thought this time I'd better see a little bit clearer. But, um, if you were here last week, you realized we're starting this um, series about Come, follow me, and I will make you kind of fishers of men. I'm going to look at that passage in particular uh, in a minute. And Nigel was just sharing, beginning just to start this series, talking particularly about this idea of the kingdom of God, seeing his kingdom, his reign beginning to come in our lives, beginning to come in our communities, that this kingdom is a kingdom that's seeking to break itself into us, into our situations. And this involves a choice. This involves a decision. This involves a a sacrifice. This might involve a change of life. This might involve a change of priorities. Reorientating our lives, our thoughts, and how we do our lives. And this kind of brings us to uh, the passage. I will take my glasses off for this one. Because I need that. It's going to be like a show. Guess which glasses I got on. I haven't yet made my mind what I do. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left the nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending the nets. Jesus called them, and they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. Let me just pray. God, we just thank you for your word. And God, I pray that this word wouldn't just be kind of letters and notes on a piece of paper, but we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would touch it and you would make it your living word because it was always meant to be living. And we pray that it would speak deep into our lives, into our situations, that we would go away this morning, not just full of information and insight, but we would go away changed. Lord, we pray and we cry out afresh for a deep revelation of you. You say in your word, if we call and we ask you to reveal yourself, that you would do so. And so we say, God, be true to your word and reveal yourself to us this morning. Amen. Amen. And so if you've ever been around church, this is a very familiar kind of passage and Jesus walking by and inviting the disciples, what we're going to become his disciples, to follow him. 
I don't know about what was going through the head of those disciples on that particular day. They were just thinking maybe it was just an ordinary day of fishing, kind of the ins and outs. Maybe for them it was their kind of Monday morning if you have worked or ever worked and you kind of wake up in the morning and go, it's Monday. Uh, maybe that was for them, but this day was going to be different because Jesus was p- passing by and he's inviting them. They probably had their kind of careers and decisions worked out that they were going to do, but everything was going to change for them. This invitation to follow him, it was a step of faith. It was a step into the unknown. We know that they said yes, and as we read in the, um, the rest of the, what we call the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, and in some ways also the story of the disciples, and then there's a book in the Bible called Acts where we just learn a little bit more about what happened to some of them. We kind of know that, but when they said yes and they left everything behind, I, I suspect that in some ways they didn't have much of an idea what it was going to be like. They just had to take a step of faith. They had to take, take a step of obedience. What does that look like for us? Jesus is coming by. He's always coming by. He's always passing by. And he keeps saying to us individually and as a church, follow me. Follow me. What does that look like? I know some of you, if you're involved in this church, one of the things that we often say is we meet on a Sunday, but we also meet in small groups during the week. And I'd really encourage you, if you're not in a small group, to do so, because this is when talks like this begin to hit and get a greater reality. So I know in small groups this week, one of the things we're talking about is what does that actually mean? What is it he's inviting you into? If you see the disciples there, they kind of left behind the nets, they left behind their, 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 their boats, they left behind their livelihood, they left behind their, their families. They seem to leave a lot behind. What does it mean for us? And that can mean really lots of different things. I was speaking to somebody this week, I've been interacting with quite a lot. And for them, they realize that for them, money has been the thing that's been dominating their life. And so I was chatting to them yesterday, and so they're closing their business. They're selling up their stock because they realize that the invitation of Jesus to follow me involves that. Now, that doesn't mean those things are bad, but for them, that's what it means to follow him. It might be saying, Claire, God was just challenging me this week. I'd had a really long week. Like I said, I was away last week up in Manchester and away also Saturday, so finally Thursday evening, I kind of had an opportunity to catch my breath, and I do what actually I quite like doing, which is I, I catch up with the football and uh, just use YouTube and kind of just watch all the highlights. And I felt like God saying, would you be willing to leave that behind, Paul? And part of me is like, it's only about 20 minutes by the time I add it all up. And that's what maybe it meant for me. So it can be something big, it could be something small. What does it mean to leave behind our nets and follow him? I'm just going to pause. Time is on my side today. So let me just pause. Just before God, if you find it easier, if you find it easy, get distracted, maybe just shut your eyes. I'm just going to give you a minute and just ask him what it means. It might be something big. Like I said about the person I know giving up business. It might be something small. It might be for some of you the first time you've ever heard him say that to you. 
Maybe this is the first time you've been in a church for a long time. And he's just saying, come follow me. What does it mean? And if something comes to mind and you think, surely not that, then probably it is. God, give us the courage and boldness to leave behind our nets and our boats to follow you. Amen. Just to kind of, before I move on to me a little bit, I was thinking, how do I kind of conclude uh, this first bit of my, my talk? And something kept coming up on my news feed, and then I'm reading books, and it kept coming up. Something I'd never seen or heard before. It's called the Methodist Covenant Prayer. And, um, and suddenly it was everywhere. And I just thought that's a kind of, in some ways, a good response. So I'm going to bring it up. And... Um, I'm not saying you've got to pray, but if this, as part of maybe your response to that invitation of Jesus coming by, this might be it. That I encourage you just to maybe just say it underneath your breath. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or anything like that. But um, it's written by John Wesley, who set up the Methodist movement. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you, or laid aside for you, exalted for you, or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. And again, you might have prayed that, not prayed that. That's fine. Probably the more important is what's your response. You see, there always has to be a response. Come follow me. There's always a response. It's a question of what it's going to look like. And so, as I just said last week, we're going to delve into this kind of passage, this invitation to kind of follow Jesus. Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So, I'm going to speak this week, and then as a, we've got a guest speaker next week, and then the following week, I'm speaking again on this idea of come follow me. And then, and in kind of three weeks' time, Andy's going to be, Mother um, here is going to be speaking on, and I will make you. And then, we're going to have various people speaking about being fishers of men. So, I'm focusing in on this come follow me. 
And this idea that our first call is to grow in intimacy, in knowing God. In some ways it should make sense. It says, come follow me, as in kind of come follow a a person, not come and follow this doctrine, this ideology, this way of thinking and doing life. Obviously, Jesus kind of encompassed that. He kind of came with a teaching. He came with a way of life that he wanted us to follow and to imitate. That's what it means to be disciples or a language we often use in this church, this idea of being apprentice. But ultimately, it's a person. Come follow me. And I know from my own experience for a number of years that a lot of my following as a kind of teenager into university life was kind of, I thought I was following him, in some ways I was, but a lot of it was just tied up in doing the right things and I lost sight, it was about following a person. You see this more clearly in the passage uh, mentioned here in, in Mark 3 verses 13 to 15. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they may be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority and to drive out demons. Can I notice the order, and it's the same as this order, you know, come follow me and I'll make you fishers and men. You've got to have the follow me. You've got to have to be with him before you get to kind of the preaching thing. It's so easy to get up and begin to do what we call in this church, kind of doing the stuff. It's something very close to my heart. If you were here a few months ago, we talked about it. And what do I mean by that? Doing the things that Jesus did. Jesus went around declaring and demonstrating the reality of the kingdom of God breaking through in people's lives. His miracles, his teaching all encompassed that. And that is obviously important. I'm not going to kind of contradict what we spent a series doing. But the starting point, the anchor point is Jesus. So that it's not said of us, what it says here, the verse actually starts from I know. I just cut and pasted from my notes and didn't cut off my first notes. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked people that you have tested those that claim to be apostles but are not. And I've found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for a name and have, grown, have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the, do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. Then the next bit is just that verse about just losing your first love, but from what's called the Amplified translation, which is a version of the Bible that just tries to unpack it a little bit more. But I have this charge against you, that you have left your first love. You have lost the depth of love that you first had for me. And uh, those who know me know that I like to ask questions. I don't just ask questions of people around me. I'm always asking questions of myself and my relationship with God. So the question I have that you might want to ask yourself is, what is the depth of love that I have for God? Am I falling more in love with God? You see, that's what the invitation is. Come to me. It's an invitation to relationships, an invitation to uh, be with him, intimacy. Am I falling more in love with God? I remember 
roughly this time last year, I was asking God, like I often do at the beginning of the year, God, what are you inviting me in 2023? And I felt God say, I'm inviting you to fall more in love with me. I came to this year and I was wondering where I was and I felt it's the same invitation, that invitation to fall more in love with him. Now, God might be calling you and inviting you to different things this year, but at the core and the root of whatever he invites us into, there should still be that aspect of growing in love more with him. If you happen to come tomorrow night uh, in the evening to the kind of the prayer event we mentioned, Soul Spa, you will see some of that outworking of what it looked like for me. For me, it was looking at a book of Songs of Songs, and it's an opportunity if you want and you want to grow, there'll be some... Uh, just some kind of information, some verses, some questions that you can interact with by yourself that will expand your heart, that will stir your heart. Because this is what it's about. Growing in intimacy. There's another verse in Matthew 24, verse 12, it says, in the latter days, in the end times, I'm not saying whether they're there or not, I'm not going to get in that discussion, but it says, people's love will grow cold. Oh, may that never be said of me. May that never be said of us as a church. May our love and our fervency for God be greater. But it's easy for various things. Here we're talking about things in Revelation, but it can be just, just doing life. Just maybe going to job, going to the unemployment um, queue, going to the school gate, there can be lots and lots of different things and that's life and those are things that we need to do. But even in the midst of those things, may our passion and our desire for God increase. May it never be said of us what I feel is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. I'm not saying it's the saddest, but there's probably a few out there that can compete for it. Which says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everybody who says, you know, God, you're in charge of my life, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's an interesting one. But the one who, do, but the one who does the will of my Father in, in heaven. So it's not just words about action. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's got to start in that place of intimacy. This is why even in that passage that we're looking at the moment, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know, the natural instinct would be to get to the fishers of men. There's that part of me who is always thinking about getting out there, sharing Jesus, demonstrating the good news of Jesus. And these are obviously things that are important that we want to see because we want to see the kingdom of God come on earth. We're aware of the kingdom of earth and what a mess it's in, economically, politically, socially. We know that there's something better. There's a better kingdom that when that comes, it brings change, it brings transformation. There's a kingdom of hope and love and joy and peace. We all want that, you know. If I was in a certain churches, people would yell out, amen. I'm not saying you have to, but you'll preach it, brother. But that's the thing that we want to see happen. But it's got to start in the place of intimacy. It's got to be rooted there. Does he know us? Do we know him? Because it's easy to drift. It's interesting, even with these disciples. One of the disciples there was Peter that followed Jesus and another uh, a book of the Bible called John writes near the end. 
Jesus is again coming back to that point and he says to him, actually says to him three times, do you love me? He's still walking past him, inviting us, come follow me. Do you, Paul, do you love me? And I, he's, I go, yes, of course, God, a bit like Peter. And he goes, do you love me? This is the foundation, as it says in Ephesians 3, verse 17, in the Passion Translation. The resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. The resting place of his love, being in that place, will become the source and root of your life. Oh, God, let that be said of us. Let it be said of all these things, you know, and we've heard it and we celebrated some of the things that particularly the, the church does. And one of the most obvious ways I see it outworked is in the amazing work that we do in compassion in this church that a number of you are involved with or supporting different ways. And we can think about other things that we do as our church as we look at our program. May the very source and root of those be love, God. And whatever it looks like for you as you outwork your following Jesus, may it be rooted and the very source of it be love. It's the natural order. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. As I reflected on those verses, it's more than just a, a throwaway line. It's a theological order. It's a divine order. You've got to start with come, follow, follow me and I will make you Fishers of men. Just a couple of verses just to maybe labor the point, get it deeper in us. The first verse is just to do with that book I mentioned earlier about Acts, when it tells the stories of when the disciples, as they're following Jesus, what did it look like? And in one situation, they were, they were just kind of sharing the good news of Jesus. They were demonstrating it by healing a, a man who had been paralytic for 38 years, remember right. And it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized they were unschooled, ordering men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus because when Jesus said, come follow me, come be with me, they were with him. And then when you were with Jesus, it actually begins to affect you. It outworks itself. Oh, that would be said of us. I have been with Jesus. Have I been with Jesus? You see that invitation, come follow me. It's not just a one-off invitation that maybe we put up our hand, maybe we say a prayer. And if again, I say, if you've never done that before, I'd invite you. It's an invitation to the most crazy adventure ever, but it's worth it. And if you want to know more about that, come maybe and speak to me or come and speak to Tom and Tess. Um, at the end. But this invitation, it's every day. He comes along and he says, hey Paul, will you come and follow me today? Will you? And it comes to you every day. And there's that invitation and that challenge to do that. Have we been with Jesus? And the verse there in John 15, it, it there's a parable, that, a kind of illustration that Jesus is doing in his teaching. And he says, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. 
without me, you can do nothing. If you want to use the language we've been using quite a lot in the last kind of six months, is that fruit is seeing the reality of the kingdom of God breaking out in our lives, through our lives, into our community. It's not going to happen unless we're abiding, unless we start in that place of being in intimacy with God. Like I say, I like to uh, asking you know questions, and the question I was asking myself is, what is my response to that invitation to intimacy? What is my response to that invitation to intimacy? What might need to change? Maybe have a think about that. I'm not an expert on all these things, but I know in any relationship I have ever had, if I want to go deeper and spend time with that person, it normally involves a kind of change in my use of my time and creating space and time for that person. There's nothing more simple to that. As soon as you, I don't know about you, but sometimes you feel like, we might not use the language, kind of like, I love growing cold, but sometimes have you ever had these conversations where you feel like you say to yourself, I'm a little bit more distant from that person? It's not that you suddenly hate that person, you don't like that person, just life has got busy and you haven't seen them recently and you're kind of thinking, oh, I wonder what's happening in their life. Or me and my wife sometimes have this conversation, oh, you know, remember when we used to hang out with so-and-so and life has just got in the way of those relationships. It's the same when it comes to that invitation, come follow me in intimacy. I know this, I didn't expect it to be such a hard, challenging tool, but I guess it is. Um, because I feel challenged as I'm doing it. What does it mean? What does it mean? You know, since it's that, it's like pick up the phone and give the person a ring. What do it mean for you to pick up your phone and give Jesus a ring? Drop them a mail. Send them a text. What does that mean? I came across this quote, and I think for me, it kind of reminds me of why it's so important for us to talk about this in church. It's by a guy called Charles Cleverly, uh, who was a pastor up in St. Aldate's, Oxford. He said, if nothing else... No matter what else happens, when we come home to being lovers of God, we succeed. When we come home to be lovers of God, we succeed. It's easy in kind of church, you know, Nigeria and some of the kind of leadership teams, sometimes we're just thinking about, you know, we kind of discuss how did some of this service go, how did this go, how does that go, and... In some ways, it is a kind of measurement of success, growth, impact, change. We want to see these things happen. I wonder how we would measure that we're becoming more lovers of God. That has an indication. And um, one of my jobs in my organization, some of you don't know, but I particularly spend time training and equipping people to go overseas, and we send out teams, and we send out because we send out teams as team leaders and we have overseers whose job it is to kind of keep an eye on the, the teams and the individuals in these 
remote countries of the, the Muslim world. And occasionally I get asked, Katie and I, if we become overseers. And uh, so actually, a week tomorrow, actually, I fly. Uh, I'm going to actually, I've seen Dave because we talked about it, I'm going to Western Sahara and to check out on a, a team there. And so when they asked me, I, I go, you've got a few choices. I said, I can go through the questions I meant to ask you as an overseer. Uh, and I said, I can do that. But I said, I'm too old, again, a bit too old just to ask you questions on how the, what you're doing is impacting the Muslim world. I said, when I stand before God, God's going to ask me whether underneath my authority and responsibility, did you fall more in love with God? And so if you want me to be your overseer, I'm going to ask you questions about that all the time because I know that I will have to give an account for that. Are we becoming lovers of God? Now the problem is that it's much more easier said than done. We get distracted, we get caught up in life, so we don't end up following Jesus. How does that outwork itself? Let me just look at one quick other passage, which I'm going to begin just whetting your appetite uh, on today, and then in two weeks' time when I speak, I'm going to go into great depth on. And um, as Jesus and his disciples is in Luke 10, were on the way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat to the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or needed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. For some of you, it might be a familiar story, and I kind of feel it, particularly having lived in the Middle East, kind of hospitality, giving food is crucial. It's a matter of honor and shame. You're always going to make sure that you have at least twice as much food there on the table than that will be consumed, and you're trying to get the best and honoring the person, giving them the, 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 the best seat. So you could argue that Martha was doing, if you want to put it in italics, the right thing. She was working really hard to see this thing happen. And then you got Mary sitting at the, you know, the feet of Jesus. And I, could, um, I can imagine just the annoyance and frustration as the person in the family that probably does the most cooking, certainly I'm the one that does the big kind of roast. And, um, which I'll do more often, but it's just me and my daughter Sophie that likes roast, and she's away at university most of the time. But I still do it because I enjoy it. And, um, but as soon as I get a bit annoyed because I'm rushing around doing this, and I kind of like yelling to the kids, get off your backsides and give me a hand sometimes when I get to the end of my remit, you know, or, you know, even seeing like a fry up, trying to get everything perfect at that moment is actually pretty tricky. And I think my kids don't realize how hard it is. And so I can feel the annoyance of Martha. And I'm doing the thing, we've got to eat. Come on, give me, give me a hand. You know, Jesus, come on, sort Mary out. Don't you care that my sister's left me to do my work by yourself? And then Jesus speaks to Martha. When, when God says your name twice, you know it's, it's going to be challenging you. 
maybe the same with the kids when you get caught twice. Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one is needed. Sitting at my feet. You know, and she's saying, don't you care, God? And, you know, Jesus, you don't care? And he's kind of like, no. Really, in some ways, he is concerned about all frankness. But he's saying, you are worried and distracted by many things. You see, the point of hospitality is enjoying the guest. It's no good having somebody over, creating an incredible environment, if you're not there to enjoy their presence. I have to remind myself that sometimes. Their company. And so Jesus says, I appreciate your effort, your preparation, but you're missing her. And Jesus challenges her on two key things. He says, you're kind of worried and upset. In the actual Greek, it's kind of this idea of worried and distraction. And the Greek word means you are pulled apart. You are dragged away. Martha, you are pulled apart. You are dragged away. It's like Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah, the one that you've been waiting like hundreds and thousands of years for, been praying, may the Messiah come, and I am here. Yet you have been pulled away by your worry and dragged away by your distractions. You are missing me. Certainly for me, I'd say that sometimes this describes me. I'm pulled away and I'm dragged away by distractions. I'm only partially present to God if I'm being <laughs> trying to look at myself well. Our minds are always being pulled away somewhere else, dragged away by alerts, dragged away by notifications, dragged away by problems and issues everywhere we go. We have the opportunity, like Mary, to sit at the feet of Jesus, the Lord and the Savior. And we get distracted. Pulled away. What does that mean for us? Here's a couple of questions that we're going to start thinking about. We're certainly going to do more in a couple of weeks. What's distracting you, pulling you away from God? How do we need to rearrange our lives to live attentive to God? And it can be a whole array of things. Sometimes it can just be good things that just kind of come along. Maybe just giving that example of notifications. I tend to only get notifications from people who have said, yes, I want to be part of your WhatsApp group or Signal group or whatever. And they can come and drag you away. Sometimes it can just be other things that drag you away. One of the ones I've been very aware of, particularly the last couple of weeks, some of you know I have um, kind of tennis elbow, and it's just been getting worse and worse. And so sometimes a lot of my thoughts, particularly it's the first thing I'm aware of when I wake up in the morning and during the day, it's like it's there. And it can be different things for us. Different things just pull away our minds so that we're not totally focused in on God. What is it? I know it's a very big question. You might want to go away and discuss it. Certainly those of you in life group, and like I said, if you're not in a life group and you want to know about how to get into a life group, come and speak to me at the end and I can point you to different life groups. But this will be one of the questions we talk about because this is about being real and praying for each other because we want to rearrange our lives, to live attentive to God. But if you're not sure, 
There's a great prayer in Psalm 139. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Or test me and know the fiends, God, that kind of drag me away, pull me apart from you. And lead me into the way everlasting. We have an opportunity you know, it's kind of the new year, and in some ways, I, as I often remind my wife, every day is a new day. Every day could be the beginning of a new year. So I don't want to make too much of it, but it's an opportunity to kind of restart, to live more attentive to God. He's walking past again at this very moment, saying, hey, will you follow me? and inviting you into something greater. What's it going to mean? It might be something as simple as starting off tomorrow, in particular tomorrow evening. I know we're doing prayer Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I encourage you to come to as many as you can. But I know particularly tomorrow evening, there's going to be some tools some practices that might help you begin to rearrange your life to that call of intimacy. What is our response to that invitation. I'm going to just uh, read a couple of lines. As those who know me know you don't want me to sing because that would totally take away your attention. From a song, uh, I think it was written, I don't know who wrote it, but the ones that made it popular were a band called The Jesus Culture. And it's called Come Away. Come away with me. Come away with me. It's never too late. It's it's not too late for you. I have a plan for you. It's going to be wild. It's going to be great. It's going to be full of me. Come away with me. Come away with me. It's not too late. It's not too late for you. And Jesus is coming. And he says, come away with me. It's not too late. It's not too late. I've got a plan for you, and it's a wild plan. Because even if it's just you doing the life that God has called you into already, when you add that ingredient of Jesus, it changes everything. If you ever cooked and you missed out a key ingredient, you really notice it. I remember once cooking chocolate biscuits, and I forgot the chocolate. (laughs) Yeah, we all have our moments. (laughs) And... uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm not going to use some other examples from other members of my family. I just share on my own behalf. And um, uh, you're like, you're missing it. And this is what it is. For some of you, yes, it might mean radical changes and alterations in your, your life. But for some of you, it's bringing that key ingredient in your life that's going to change everything. And he's saying, come away. It's going to be, that's the plan. And it's going to be wild. It's going to be great. Notice the song doesn't say it's going to be easy. But it's war. There's nothing better. There's nothing greater than living your life. And it doesn't matter what your life looks like. You see, there's no life that's ordinary when God's in the mix. There's no job, there's no situation that's mundane when, he's, when God's there. I'm not saying it'll be easy, like I said, but it's different. And he's saying, will you invite me 
And inviting is more than just saying a phrase. It's changing your life. It's learning to live with that attentiveness and awareness and openness to God in life. Who wants that? Tom and Tess, you might want to come up. JJ, you might, you might, uh, what, might want to come up. We've got time just to respond to that. I'm just going to start with a bit of silence because I know I've thrown out quite a few questions, even the one that's just...